Everybody shout blessed. blessed. That's that churchy word. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed. Don't normally go out and hang out on the street like you're in a pickup basketball game. How you doing, man? Blessed. You're at the bar, you know. I'm blessed. You know, you just don't hear that. It's a churchy word. It's a churchy word that we recognize that God wants to bless us. And here's what this literally means, is that God wants to favor you even though you don't deserve it and don't earn it. That's one level of blessing. It's just because he just flat out loves you. And you know what? His love is totally undeserved. It's totally unearned. He just gets it and gives it because here's why. Because God is love. And we talked about this. There's some things that God can't do. God cannot not love. It's just who he is, and he's going to love you no matter what. That's one level of blessing. The second level of blessing is this. There's blessing that you unlock, meaning there's promises that you unlock because of what you do. And here's what we've learned, is that the love of God is unconditional, but the blessing of God has conditions. So, so we get into these, these realms of thought where it's like, if you do this, then you get this. If we operate in these ideas, truths, principles, then we unlock these promises. And I don't know about you, but, but when I look at the Bible, here's what I've discovered, is that God really, really, really wants you, everybody say blessed. That's what his desire is. Now, here's what I know from counseling tons of people and tons of conversations and tons of praying with people. Here's what I know about you. You want you to be blessed too. Can I get an amen? That should have been, yeah, you want you to be blessed. I, I know that. I know that. You might not even know this. I want you to be blessed just because I like you. I don't love you like God loves you, but I, I really do love you and I like you a lot. And so I want you to be blessed. So here's the dilemma that I've come up with. If God wants me to be blessed and I want me to be blessed, why is it that many times I step back and look at my life and I'm not blessed? Like, well, that doesn't make sense because I'm thinking, well, well, if I really want it and God really wants it, wouldn't, wouldn't it all just come together? Wouldn't that make the most sense? And the answer is No. Because even though God wants you blessed, you actually have to have a capacity to receive. Here's what's going to be our prayer this morning. Lord, help me to increase my capacity. That's going to make a whole lot more sense in a few minutes. Let's bow our heads and pray one more time. Father, we pray that your words would um, penetrate our heart and our mind. God, they'd get on the inside of us and work some things out, that they'd overhaul some feelings or fears or inhibitions that we might have, some, some reluctancies we might have. We pray that we would just, God, through your words, God, draw closer to you. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. 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 Everybody say capacity. I'm going to talk to you today more than I hope to, to preach a sermon. We've been uh, in a series on the blessed life, and we've looked at the preeminence of God, that God's always first and he can't be anything but first. We also asked ourselves the question, how does God see our money? Which what we learned is that God sees our money as a test because God actually doesn't need your money. God has no use of money. He's not broke. And do you know that God could give us all a trillion dollars each and would, would, would have no less money than he has right now? God doesn't need your money. Does that make sense? He sees our money as a test. And last week, last week we looked at the idea that, that, you know, we should see our money differently too. That we should see our money as a tool. As something that God has given us to do something with. And we should all be asking the question, then God, what would you have me do? How would I do this? Today, I want to kind of delve deeper into this idea of capacity. There's this scripture, and many of you may have heard it. It says that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. How many of you have ever heard that? Which begs the question, well, where is it laid up? Why is it laid up? And, and why haven't I gotten that yet? And the answer to that question is this, is that God is waiting on you to be able to receive and handle it. 
Let me give you another example. There's a scripture in Malachi that we've talked about before. And one of the promises of, of tithing is this, is that God would open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you so much blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. How many of you have ever heard that before? You've, you've heard that? That sounds like a great promise. To which begs the also question like, well, uh, my bank, when I talk to them, they say I can just load up more and more and more. So apparently, God, I have lots of more capacity. Doesn't that make sense to you? Like, you know, they had barns. They might have filled up their barns. I have like Wells Fargo or Bank of... They, they say they can take more. So what I've learned is, is that's not dealing with my bank's ability to handle more money. It's actually dealing with my capacity to handle more money. That, 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 there, that he would give me more than I have room enough to receive actually has to do with my ability to steward and my ability in my heart to handle it. Because here's what I know about God. God in his perfection is an incredible steward and he just doesn't waste things. So why would he give me something that I'm going to waste because God's a perfect steward? So we run into these dilemmas of capacity. And here's the question we have to ask. What's the capacity of my heart? Because many of us, if we had more money, that money would actually make us worse off. We probably would be less dependent on God, think more highly of ourselves, get more involved into all kinds of things of the world, and it would totally distract us from our relationship with God and His true purpose for our life. So would money help most of us? No, it wouldn't. And so God says, well, you got a heart capacity thing. As long as there's, there's greed and selfishness in there that would take you away from my true purpose, why would I give you more? You would break yourself. And then I'd have to bring restoration again. Well, not, not only that, many of us not just have a, a, a limited capacity in our heart. And here's what we'll talk about today. We have a limited capacity with our stewardship. Our ability to manage God's resources well. And here's where we'll go today. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to show you this huge idea that God has on being a steward. Matthew chapter 25, there's a very, very common parable. The Bible says it like this, and Jesus always kind of opens these parables with, the kingdom of heaven is like, which is just his way of saying, this is how it works God's way. You want to know how it works? I'm going to lay it out for you. He says, this is how it is in the kingdom of God. It's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, or talents, to another two bags, and to another one, one bag, each according to his what? His ability or his capacity. So did God give everybody the same? Did they all have the ability to handle and manage the same amount of money then? No, they didn't. And we know that's true just by looking. Some people are great at managing money. We know this to be true because I do marriage counseling. And typically in marriages, I find that, that there's usually a spender and there's a saver. And the saver's always mad at the spender for spending too much money. I just want to see how many couples would look at each other. Like a dirty look right there. And, and, and if you have two savers, that's really, really... Uh, unusual, but that's great. You're probably really, really well off because you, you, you're a great saver. If you have two spenders, you're probably really, really bad off in debt. You know, that's, sorry. Um, so the Bible says that God doesn't give just everybody the same because he just loves everybody. He loves everybody the same, but he doesn't give and distribute everything the same. We all have a capacity or ability to handle those things, and we'll see why. And so the Bible says, then he went on his journey. Well, the man who had received five bags of gold went, everybody say, at once. He went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more, meaning he straight up just doubled what God had given him. So also, uh, the one who had two bags of gold, he gained two more. He doubled what God had given him. But the man who had received one bag went off, 
dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. This is, you know how God works? You know how the kingdom works? You know how this works? Is that God gives every one of us stuff. He gives us resources. He gives us a mind to think. He gives us talents and abilities. He gives us time. And here's the big idea, is that life is a stewardship. It's temporary. Can I get an amen? If you've been to a funeral recently, that's dawned on you. Life is a stewardship. It is temporary. It is limited. It can be here one minute and then be taken away. Life's not forever. My stuff is a stewardship. It's temporary. We don't get to hook a U-Haul to our hearse and take anything with us into the afterlife. We don't get to do that. It's temporary. Whatever you've got, it is going to someone else as soon as you die. And then they're going to eat food as well. Let that sink in. Life is a stewardship. Your, your stuff is a stewardship. And he said, this is the way the kingdom of, this is how it all works out. That God gives every one of us time, talent, treasure, stuff. And then he goes on, to, meaning he steps back and says, I want to see how well you will handle this stuff. And one guy, the Bible says, doubles it and gets, that, that's great. And then he turns to that guy and says, well done, my faithful servant. Enter into the joy or the happiness of the kingdom. He says that to the, the same guy that took the two and doubled it. But he looks at the one guy and he rebukes him and calls him a wicked and evil servant. And then at the very end of the parable, this is, this is how it sums up in verse 29. It says, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Think about it. Isn't that what happened to the guy with one? At the end of the story, God takes from the guy that had one and gives it to the guy that had ten. Why? Capacity. Stewardship. See, what we've learned is this, is that God wants us to honor him first with the tithe, and then he'll bless everything else. But here's the thing that many of us run into. We think if we tithe, everything else will just work out. You can't tithe and turn that into like a magic trick, and that just take care of everything else. Meaning like the tithe does not replace stupidity or foolishness with the 90%. Was that too harsh? I'm talking to other people. This is for you to pass on to your friends. You already do this. I'm reteaching you what you already know. This is for you to help the world around you because you already do this. So, so, so here's the deal. We need to actually step back now and ask ourselves, God, I got 90% left over after I've honored you, and I know you want to bless that, but I want to do things your way. Today I'm going to give you just five quick thoughts. I'm going to try to make them quick. Try to make them quick. I'm going to give you five thoughts on being a great steward because as we've already seen just by this simple parable, that life is a stewardship. Our stuff is a stewardship. Everything we've been given, it's temporary. It's on hold. It's on lease. We have it for a moment, but this is the reality. However heaven works out, the Bible says we'll be rewarded then based on what we do now. And so let's get real practical on what you need to do now based on some simple biblical principles. Everybody say, okay. And let's get going. Number one is this. This is the first thing that I want every one of us to do as great stewards. Is I want us, number one, to get on a budget. This is, to me, this is the founding definition of what a steward does. Stewardship just means management, by the way. That God's the owner. He leaves you in charge of the store, leaves you in charge of the family business, and now you've become the manager of it. Is it yours? Whose is it? And you're just the, you're just the steward of the manager of it. What does every great manager do well? They keep things on track, don't they? And here's, and if you have a financial advisor, uh, this is what you know about good financial advisors. They know how to keep and track and plan and do things well, don't they? 
That's why they have that job. And so what you typically do, if you have a financial planner, advisor, or however that works for you, you give them money, and, and you expect them to do what? To know where it is at all times. To know what it's doing, to know what it's invested in, to, 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 to make sure that it is on track. Well, here's what you need to know. You are the manager of everything God has given you. And here's the first thing you have to ask. Where is it? Many of us, we spend money week after week, month after month. We have no idea where it is. How many know like just gone is the, the answer most of us think about? It. It's gone. And we, sometimes we keep putting more on our credit card. Or we keep getting further behind. And we ask the question, God, why can't I just get ahead? And, and, and he would ask, well, where is it? If you cannot track every dollar that you spend, then you're not being a great steward or a great manager of what God's given you. The, the, the absolute definition of being a good steward starts with being able to be on budget. And so in your personal finances, every one of us should have some type of budget. Listen to the scripture, just to throw a little support to what I'm saying here. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, it says this, it says that the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Actually, the other translation says the plans of the diligent make rich, as surely as haste leads to what? This is another teaching of Solomon, just saying, hey, there's a way to handle your money. And if you will put it on budget and put it on a plan, you know what you're going to be able to do? Prosper. But when you don't and you just spend here and spend there and you don't know where your money goes, you know what that leads to? Poverty. So, so what does God want us all to be on? God wants us all to be on a budget. It, it took me a few years as a young couple before we figured this out. We were... We'd see our finances go up and go down and go up and go down and go up and go down. And we just couldn't ever fully get ahead as a young couple. And then finally, somebody gave us just a simple tool to help us get on track. And I'm going to give you that same tool. It's what we refer to, if you'll put this on the screen, I want you to write this down. If you're, if, if you're not on budget and you need to get to this point, this is where I started out as a young couple, young man. It was, it was called the Crown Budget. Actually, it's a Crown Budget Calculator. And we Googled that thing. We started inputting all of our numbers. And you know what we realized? Wow, we spend too much money here and we spend too much money there. We're, we're, we're all over the map. And then it became clear to us what our limitations were. Once we knew what our limitations were, we could say no to certain things. We could say, no, we just can't do that yet. We'll have to save. Or no, we're not able to do that. Or we can't live at this level or do these things. But we didn't know. See, being on budget gives you a certain level of limitation, doesn't it? It lets you know where your boundaries are. It lets you know where your guidelines are. So being on budget is the first and the most foundational thing to being a great steward. If we can't do this, I want to say nothing else I say today is going to help because it'll be a struggle and a heartache to try to do anything else that I say today. So as good stewards, everybody has to be on everybody say a budget. Number two is this. Number two, you have to act your wage. If you're a young person here, if you're a young couple in here, listen very carefully. Here's what I found to be the pitfall. Every young couple looks at their parents and thinks that they need to live how their parents live. And they deserve to have all the things that their parents have. Failing to recognize that it took them 30 years to get there. And you're in your 20s. You need to chill out. You know what I'm saying? It, just relax. It, it's going to take some time. You, you, you'll, you'll get there eventually if you'll do what the Bible says to do when it comes to great stewardship. But you've got to learn how to act your wage. And I see this from young couples to old couples, but usually once you get older, you've learned enough the hard way if nobody taught you at a young age. But I listen to so many young couples, and, and it's, it's, it's things like this. Well, when I was really, really young, I just wanted to go and, and, and travel. So I went and did this thing, and I traveled to Europe, and I went all over here, and I just racked up thousands of dollars worth of credit card debt. 
Talk to another person, they're like, well, I just really, really wanted to get out of the house, and I had to get out of the house, and I didn't want to be around parents anymore, I knew I wanted to school, so I just, I did all school loans, and I went away, and I stayed there on campus, I did, so now I've got tens of thousands of dollars worth of, of school loans. I talked to this other guy, and he's like, you know what, I was, as a kid, we were always poor, and I never got to go on vacation, so you know what, now that I'm a grown-up, I just had to have this, this vacation thing, this timeshare thing, I just had to have it, because I didn't get to go on vacations when I was a kid. And what we, what we end up doing is we end up maxing out and maxing out and doing and going and going and going. And you know what? We end up way far in debt because we just don't recognize that our wage has limitations to it, that we need to act our wage. Meaning if this is where we're at in life, listen to this scripture. This is huge. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. This is incredible wisdom. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Let that soak in on your brain for a second. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And you think about it, why is it that we have to have all this other stuff or go do all these things? It's because we lack contentment with what God has actually given us. And here's the problem, when we lack contentment, we, we push our lifestyle all the way up and we push and push and push our lifestyle till it exceeds our income. And we are worse off then than we were to begin with had we just been content. We end up further and further in debt and then we have to work years and years to get out of that. All because we couldn't handle, and, and, and I remember feeling this pressure too when we moved to California. I remember just feeling the pressure that we needed to, to live a little bit higher, or drive nicer, or dress nicer, or all these certain things. And so sure enough, we just felt the pressure. And we forgot that godliness with contentment. That's huge. You got godliness and contentment with where God's got you at for now. You know what I've learned? Is that God will increase you. Because when you're content with where you're at right now and you can be a steward of what God's given you now, God then sees your capacity to handle more. Instead of feel like, I gotta have more, I gotta drive this, I gotta do this, we end up buying things for, that, that we don't need to impress people we don't even like, just so we can have more and go more. And usually it's our greed and our pride that are driving us. And, and the, one of the best biblical principles you can act your wage, whatever it is, stay there. But here's the deal. Unless we're on budget, we don't know what our wage actually is and what our limitations actually are. I remember after getting on budget, the first time going to, actually we had to, our car had broken down and we needed to go get a new one. It was the most liberating thing, because if you're a car salesman out there, I don't mean any offense by this, but sometimes y'all can lay the hammer down, and they can pressure you, and they want to sell you undercoating, and add this little thing, and they want to do all this stuff to you, and, and I remember knowing what my budget was, knowing what my limitation was, I knew what kind of a number I needed to handle for a car payment, and I knew that was my limit, and I absolutely couldn't exceed it, and I remember sitting across from at the table, and I said, if you can get me that number, I'll take it. Well, you know what, well, what if I did this? What, no. No, 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 no. Emotionless. No. See, when you know what your limitations are, you know what you have? Leverage. And you can walk away at any time because you're not emotionally attached to that thing, that purchase, that. I don't need. No, these are my limitations, and I'm going to stay on budget so that I can show God to be a great steward. And the Bible says this that when He sees your capacity, He can bring increase. Number three is this. Is, is once you get on a budget and you begin to act your wage, then you actually get to get out of debt. Which, it, it, it's sad, because when you look at, at, at America, we are a vastly over-debt nation, and we are a vastly over-debt people. If you look at the averages of debt, I mean, we're talking about the average American debt is in the tens of thousands of dollars. And we're not talking about secured debt, we're talking about insecure debt here. Meaning like, you don't got nothing to show for it. You just got debt. 
And so we, we get into debt. We get, here's the best thing that you can do as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus is you need to begin to look at unsecured debt as an evil because that's what the Bible says. Listen to these words. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number seven, it says that the rich rule over the poor. That doesn't sound nice. That's a reality of life though, isn't it? That, that rich people have access to other things, that rich people have the ability to leverage other things, that rich people can just do. And so because of that, they end up ruling over the poor. He's not saying that this is the way that I want it to be. Solomon's saying this is just a reality of life. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a what? A slave to the lender. And so many of us are a slave to our visa and a slave to Nordstrom's and a slave to all these things, and that's just where our life is gone. We're, we're not living according to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're living according to the Gospel of Macy's. And, and, and we just, we, we are out there because we need, we got, but I'm telling you that God wants you to be 100% debt free because you should be the slave to no one, just the servant of Jesus. So we look at, at how that works. We get to get out of debt once we get on budget, once we begin to get underneath, because isn't that godliness with contentment? You know what that means? Live below your means. I mean, it's just that simple. Live below your means. If you never live below your means, you will always have financial pressure and you will never be able to get ahead, period. And you know what? There's, there's some really old people in my life that were you know, grandmas and grandpas that lived a much more simple lifestyle and weren't driven by the things that we're driven by when it comes to the meeting. And they just lived simple lives. And grandma used to always tell me, like, well, you just always save. You just always, and grandma always saving money and always had a nest egg. And you know what? What you find is that they have the ability then to do more, to give more, to bless more, and to set up the next generation behind them. Why? Godliness with contentment made great gain. And because of that, they never accrued any debt, and they didn't have debt hanging over them as a, as a, as a taskmaster, charging interest. So here's what you need to do about interest. Wise people and, 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 and foolish people use interest in different ways. So like wise people are always making interest. Foolish people are always paying interest. Interest is always in effect, though. So be on the wise side of interest. The only way you can be on the wise side of interest is to get yourself debt-free. Here's the tool I want to give you. If you're in debt right now and you've got six, seven, four, five different bills or however that is, the tool that I want to give you is this. It's, it's called Dave Ramsey's Debt Snowball Calculator. These are things you can just Google this directly. The same thing with the Crown Financial Budget Calculator. If you're in debt, I want you to get out of debt. And basically, if you will go and use this thing, it is a simple approach to saying, here's what we have to do. I could walk you through it, but I don't want to take the time. I want you to do it on your own. I want you to be a good steward. I want you to be diligent about being debt-free so that you can be more blessed. Somebody say amen. Get debt-free. It's what God wants for you. Number four is this. Then you get to save and invest. You get, did you hear that? That was, that was like an amen, Yeah. You get to save and invest. When you get on budget, when you begin to live beneath your means and act your wage, when you have godliness and contentment, when you're debt-free, you know what you have? You have money, yeah. You have leftovers. See, here's, here's what you, some of you may not know, because some, some of you people that are on the lower end of, of, the, of the income range, you look at people that have higher income, and you're envious of them, and you shouldn't be, because sometimes they're as dumb as, as, as anybody else, and here's what I mean by that. If you are always maxing out your income, you're just as broke as anybody else. Let me put it like this. If you make $30,000 a year or you make $300,000 a year and you both max out your income, you know what both of you don't have? Cash. 
Right, yes. It does. Now, they live a higher lifestyle than you, but they still have maxed out their income. This is why living beneath our means, acting our wage, being debt-free, what we want to do is now pull that number down to where we have this amazing thing called margin, and then we get to save and invest. And here's what you need to save for. Number one is you always need to save for an emergency. I've just learned this in life. Uh, your car's going to break. Um, Aunt Gertie's going to die. Um, Something bad, something tragic, something's going to go out at the house. Something, you're going to need to help somebody else. Emergency are, are always just going to happen. So you need to always have yourself an emergency fund ready to go. If you go read Dave Ramsey's stuff, he'll tell you that, that the first thing you need to do is just save $1,000, period, just for an emergency. And then after that, you need to build that to where it's, it's at least three months of your income so that if, God forbid, something really, really tragic happened, that you could live for three months without working and, and not skip a beat. These types of emergencies happen, and you want to be prepared for it. Cannot do that if we don't do the first things first. Not only do we want to save so that we can actually have, you know, ready, be prepared for emergencies, we want to save so we can pay cash for things. That's amazing, huh? See, some of you, like, have only grown up with credit cards in your life, um, you grew up, and as soon as you got out of high school, or your parents were opening up credit cards for you, or you were getting them in college, and credit, listen to me, credit cards should be used for, emer you should have one, and it should be for emergencies only. Nobody ever got rich off, off credit card points. They, they didn't. Nobody ever got rich off credit card points. You want to save so you can pay it in cash so that you don't get more in debt so that you're on the right side of interest and not on the wrong side of interest. And then, and then thirdly is you need to save so that you can invest. The Bible, when we looked at this story last week about a guy who wanted to save some of his stuff, and, and Jesus never condemned the fact that he wanted to save. He condemned the fact that he didn't have a generous heart. But Jesus is great with your plans. He's great with saving as long as the other elements are in play too. But God wants you to save. As a matter of fact, the, I taught you this last year, the Jewish people actually had three different tithes. One of them was the 10% that went to the church. The other one was 10% that went to themselves. Crazy thinking that you would, so you want me to tithe to myself? Yeah. So you can save, so you can invest, so that you can set your kids up for school so they don't have to get school loans. And you can set yourself up for retirement. You can set yourself up to take that trip or to go, so you can do and go. So saving is good. And you, if you can't get on budget and you can't act your wage and you can't be debt-free, it makes this thing impossible. And then lastly, this is where we want to go. Number five is this. Pass it on to your children. I don't know about you, I, I, was, um, I was a young man in my 20s, and um, I started reading a, a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I all heard of that before, Robert Kiyosaki, it's, you know, a bestseller. And you know what's funny is, as I read that book, I was seeing things in a new way, I was seeing things in a new light, and I was learning new things, but also as I read it, you know what dawned on me? I realized that my dad was a rich dad. But I didn't know he was a rich dad. And I realized that my dad was a rich dad but had never taught me anything about the rich dad principles of life. And I actually called my dad. And I, have, I, have a, I had a wonderful relationship with my father. And so I could kind of mess with him and joke with him about this stuff. And I said, hey, dad, I'm reading this book. You ever, you ever read this book? No, I've never read this book. He goes, I've, I've, I've seen it, but I've never read it before. He goes, what's it say? And I start going through the main points of the book. And he goes, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I remember. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, you should, absolutely you should do that. I said, Dad, why didn't you ever teach me any of this stuff? Lovingly and respectfully, like I said, I had the ability to kind of joke and prod with my dad. And he goes, well, that's common sense. Okay, Dad, apparently I'm not that common then. <laughs> apparently I'm dumb. And, I, and, and, and my dad, my dad was just an absolute um, 
wealth-generating person, financially savvy person. He was a great steward. He always was on budget, lived beneath his means, never went into debt. I mean, he just was a savvy investor on and on and on, but he never taught me any of this stuff. And I remember messing with him, like, why didn't you teach me this? I just thought it was common sense. I was like, Dad, it ain't common, or America wouldn't be broke. Yeah, well, maybe you're right then. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to live as a financial steward under, underneath God's kingdom, but I also want you to train your children in this way because I want you, them to grow up never having to get into the dumb things that you and I got into. Can I get an amen? Here, here's what we all want. We all want our kids to be blessed, and the best way that you can do that is to increase their capacity. By teaching them and, and starting out when they're young, as young as you can get them, but you start out saying, hey, look, here's your allowance. If it's a $10 allowance, the first dollar goes to God. The second dollar goes into your saving account. And then the rest of it, we think about what's the best way to spend that. And if you can start doing that when they're five years old on a basic allowance and then stay rooted and ingrained in that, I'm telling you, you will set them up for absolute financial success because you'll teach them always live beneath your means. If you're always living off of 80% of your income, you're giving 10% to God and 10% to yourself. You know what that makes you? Blessed. When God's blessing everything that you put your hand to and, and God's blessing what you, you're doing in your career and what you're doing with your work and how you've got your finances invested, I'm telling you, you're going to end up blessed. But you want to teach this to your children. I'm going to close with this. It's 11-11 if you're taking medicine. There's, there's a book that I had read um, it was actually years ago now that I'd read it. It was called Family Wealth, Keeping It in the Family. And it was a book written by a lawyer. And this lawyer was um, basically worked on estates to help incredibly wealthy people set their estates up for their kids and grandkids. And he ended up writing a book because he had observed certain families be highly successful. And he'd seen other families um, wreck their family future. And, and there was this trend that he had noticed. And it was this trend that, that it goes like this. It's shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. That typically in a family line that you'll have one person that comes along and they're just a great wealth producer. They've got a mind for it. They're savvy. They're a thinker. They're, they're automatically frugal, whatever it is. And, and they produce a great amount of wealth. When they pass it on to their kids, you end up with a wealth maintainer, but not a wealth grower. They, they, they may not be frivolous with it, but they don't know how to grow it, so they just maintain it. And then by the third generation, they, they, they don't know how to grow it or even maintain it, so they end up wasting it. And so you end up going from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And he said, but there were some families, and, and I don't want to give their names off, but you would recognize some of their names if I told them to you, is they thought of their family totally different than everybody else. And when they thought about the future and they thought about perpetuating their family wealth, it had three dynamics involved. I'm going to give you the three dynamics. He said, the first thing that I noticed about these families that perpetuated their wealth for multiple generations is they had a dynamic value system, that they had incredible love for their family, that they didn't see their family as, as just, as just you know, people they were going to pass money on to, but they actually thought the people were the most valuable thing. Does that make sense? The most valuable thing in the family was not the family wealth. The most valuable thing in the family was the family itself, and they absolutely loved one another. And here's what that produces. That produces, in essence, you know, you, you live your whole life and you, you point your whole direction and saying, I want to make sure that my family grows, not just my money grows. That the, the money is here to serve the family, not the family here to serve the money. Does that make sense? That value system has got to be in place. The second thing was this. It was, it was a dynamic vision for the future. These families, some of them had 100-year plans for their wealth and, 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 and finances. 
100-year plans. He said they were thinkers. They were trying to set their family up. They were trying to do everything they could to make it advance. And, and, and some of these families, they would look at the children and say, Here, here's the deal. We want you to be a part of the family business. And if you want to, we're going to train you in everything that we know. We're going to train you and teach you how to view money, handle money, think about money, and, and, and handle this thing. So you can have, in essence, what they were saying is so you can have a capacity to steward this thing. They said, hey, look, if you want to go your own way and do your own thing, we will always love you and we'll always even support you. But you won't be getting as much as, as everybody else in the family and the kids. It's not going to be like that because you, you won't be able to handle that. They not only had a dynamic value system, they had a dynamic vision for the future. And then thirdly, this is the way they trained their kids, is that they, they, they treated everybody and they trained everybody to be a first-generation wealth producer. This was what they did. And these families took their wealth, took what God had blessed them with, and they perpetuated it for generations. If I told you their names, you would automatically recognize their names. But there's other guys out there like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates. They have publicly and openly said, we will not give our kids this money. They'll give a certain portion just to set aside to take care of their needs and to help them out in life, but we will not give him that. They, will, they, will, they won't know what to do with it. They'll wreck themselves. And so they've given the majority of their money over to charities and nonprofit organizations and just a little bit for their kids. Everybody say capacity. Now, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are smart enough to know that, that their kids would probably wreck their lives and it wouldn't be well or good for them for them to give them all that money. They're not as smart as God, but they're very smart. And your God, as a heavenly father and as a loving dad and as an incredible steward, he wants to bless you. But he will not give you something that will harm you. He will not give you something that will corrupt your heart. If there's greed and selfishness there and pride and ego and all kinds of things that would corrupt it, if you had more. Here's what I've learned about money. Somebody needs to take a note on this. Money doesn't change who you are. Money makes you more of who you already are. Watch human behavior. Observe it. Money won't change who you are. It will make you more of what you already are. If you have a greed in your heart, you get more money, you, you'll be more greedy. If you have a power issue and you've got that and you give more money, you'll have a bigger power issue. I'm telling you, money doesn't change who you are. It makes you more of who you are. And God doesn't want to damage your soul. Because he, Jesus said it like this. He said, what, is it, what, is it, what does it mean for a man to gain the whole world and yet at the same time lose his own soul? So if Jesus warned against that, why would he bless you with something that would harm your own soul? Not only do you have a capacity of the heart, you have a capacity of stewardship. And here's the reality. If you go look at lottery winners or people that inherit large amounts of money, they all, if they're not already good stewards, they all wreck their lives financially and mess things up. They lose the money. Why? Because they didn't have a capacity to steward it. And that all starts with these basic ideas of being on budget, living beneath your means, being debt-free, saving and investing, honoring God first above all and everything. When you live like that, you know what God sees? God sees, man, his capacity is just increasing. The guy with five made five more. I can even give him more than that. And that's why there's the old saying that he who is faithful with little, I'll be able to reward him with much. So this is our prayer. Lord, help me to increase my capacity. The capacity in my heart, because I would never want more so that I would lose you. I would never want to gain the whole world and lose my own soul. I'd never want more money and then have my wife and kids hate me or have a fractured relationship with God. I'd never want that. I'd rather have godliness with contentment than have that. But not only that, God, if you gave me, I'd want to be able to do wisely with it and be a good steward of it and be a good manager of it. Here's the question you have to ask yourself today. What am I doing right now with what God has given me now? And am I being a good steward with that? And if so, watch. Watch as you put God first. Watch as you trust in him. 
God increase your life. Because here's what I know about you. You want you to be blessed. And I know God wants you to be blessed. So here's what we need to do. We need to unlock the blessing by becoming great stewards. Let's pray this morning. I hope that was good for somebody. I hope, I hope somebody had maybe an element where they were encouraged or challenged. Maybe it was an area where you used to be great and you kind of got off point. It's time to get back on. I'm telling you this, man. God wants you to be blessed. He absolutely does. You, you know why God wants you to be blessed? He told Abraham this. He said, I want you to be a blessed so that you can be a blessing to the world around you. I mean, think about it. When you're blessed, think about how many missionaries you can send, how many wells you can build, how many people you can help, how many things you can go and do. God wants you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing to other people. This isn't a get rich quick thing. This is a let's be rich towards the kingdom of God thing. Let's be great stewards of what God has given us thing. And so, Lord, our prayer today is, God, help me to increase my capacity. God, deal with the issues of my heart. God, if there's greed there, purge it. If there's pride or if there's arrogance or if there's a, there's a power hunger thing in there, God, purge me of that. Cleanse me of that. I want my heart to be pure. And God, help me to get on track. God, help me to take the little that I've been given now and begin to steward it well so that, God, I can show myself faithful to handle more. Father, we pray that, Lord God, we would step into that blessing. That, God, you would open up the windows of heaven and bless us with more room than we even have enough to receive it. God, that you would rebuke the devourer for, for our sake, God. That everything we put to our hand to, it would prosper and that the world would look to us and call us blessed, Lord God. We pray that we would receive that now as we walk out your truths, God. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. 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 Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.